0: It was uh, the spring of 1961, and Coach Vince Lombardi, he walked into his locker room where his players uh, from the Green Bay Packers were suiting up and gearing up for their first practice during spring training. They had just won a Super Bowl championship, and for three years straight, the Packers had won under Coach Lombardi. And in fact, over seven years... They had won five Super Bowl championships. And when Lombardi walked in the room, he walked in the locker room and he held up this football. And he said, gentlemen, this is a football. And then he went on to describe what the game of football was. He talked about the basics and the fundamentals of football. Why did he do that? He did it because... They had just won three Super Bowls in a row, and he was concerned that his players were going to get overconfident and too comfortable and forget the reason why they were there in the first place. He was afraid that they were going to lose sight on the fundamentals and the core values of the game because they kept winning. He didn't want them to get overconfident. So he took them back to the basics. Well, just as Lombardi did that day in 1961, so I'm going to do this morning for you. And that is, ladies and gentlemen, this is a Bible. And in the next six to seven weeks, I'm going to take you through the fundamentals of the Bible, the big picture storyline of the Bible. If you've been in the church for many, many years, it's easy to lose sight of the fundamentals. It's easy to lose sight of why you're here. It's easy to lose sight of how the Bible all fits together. Well, the next six to seven weeks, we're going to walk through what we call covenant theology. Covenant theology provides a way for us to understand how the Bible all comes together, how it all fits together. It's a framework that we can all, after seven weeks of studying this, say, oh, I have a much better understanding of Scripture now because it's all put together. Before we look at covenant theology, I just want to share a story of what happened to me about 15 years ago. About 15 years ago, I was in my second year of seminary, graduate school. And I was taking a class on covenant theology. And as I was taking this class, it was as if the the light bulb turned on. It flipped on. And I had an aha moment. And after one day of class, I, I said, wow, I've never seen the Bible in this way. I've never been able to, to put all the stories of the Old Testament and New together. And now I can. I now have a framework of how everything fits together. This is amazing. It was an aha moment for me. Well, at the time, I was, I was dating my soon-to-be wife, Stephanie. And she was going to a a very large Baptist church. She had grown up in the Southern Baptist tradition and really was taught the Bible very well. Uh, She learned the Gospels really well. She memorized a lot of Scripture. She she learned about many of the the people of the Old Testament. And to to many Baptist churches' credit, they, they teach the Bible. And they teach a lot of the fundamentals of the Bible. As I shared with her covenant theology, her eyes widened and she said... Wow, this is really good stuff. And she said, all the stuff I have been learning throughout my my childhood to today, I now can put it together in a great framework. And now I understand the Bible better than ever before. I can put it all together. Well, it it turns out that a few months later after we had this conversation, uh, we drove to Missouri to see her family and we visited with her 95-year-old grandmother at the time, who has now passed, Grandma Helen. And Grandma Helen had been in the church for most of her life, maybe 80 years. A Church of Christ church that Grandma Helen attended for 80 years. Grandma Helen really knew the, the Gospels. She knew the New Testament pretty well. She, she knew the Old Testament. And she knew some, of the, uh, some about the key players and people in the Old Testament. As Stephanie shared with her, what I'm going to share with you the next six weeks, as she shared with her covenant theology, her grandmother Helen said, Stephanie, you know the Bible a whole lot more than I do. Now, although that wasn't true because Grandma Helen had read the Bible many times throughout her life, Grandma Helen had never really been able to put everything together like covenant theology does. And when she heard it from Stephanie, she said, Oh my goodness, this is really good stuff. This is the fundamentals of Scripture. I want to learn more. Well, this is what I'm going to do with you for the next month and a half. And I hope by the end of it, this sermon series, you're going to have a similar aha moment than what I and Stephanie and her grandma Helen had. A covenant. What is a covenant? Before we look at our scripture passage this morning... ...we've got to define what a covenant is. And a covenant is simply a formal agreement between two or more parties. When I think of the word covenant, I think of the word promise. I think of the word oath. I think of the word commitment or even a relationship. And the most common example that I can think of when I think of covenant... ...is that of marriage. When a husband and wife get married... They make a promise, a vow, that they will be with one another until death do them part. They make a vow and a promise before God, witnesses, and before each other. And they, they have a sign of that vow of a wedding ring. And this wedding ring reveals to the rest of the world that that person wearing it is taken. And that person is committed to another person. It's a formal agreement that includes stipulations. It includes promises and oaths. It's a relationship. Another example I think of when I think of covenants, I think of a I think of an employer and employee. When an employee is hired, oftentimes when he's hired with a company, what does he do? He, he's handed a job description with duties and responsibilities that he or she has to fulfill. Oftentimes they they're also called to sign a contract of agreement that if they, they disagree the rules and policies given to them, that there would be consequences for their actions. If they continue to abide by the standards of that corporation or organization, there would be blessings and benefits for that employee. Covenant theology is a lot like how I just described it. It's a relationship that God establishes with his people. And he guarantees his promises by his word to us. That's what a covenant is. It's an incredible relationship that our God has with us, his people. And you may not know this, but the word covenant is mentioned 280 times in the Old Testament. So as you just read through the Old Testament, you keep seeing this word over and over. And all of a sudden you begin to wonder, is there something about this word that I'm missing? Well, I'm hoping to address that question For you today and in the weeks to come. Covenant theology is critical in our understanding of what the fundamentals are according to scripture. In the Old Testament there were these formal agreements or documents called treaties. They were called suzerain vassal treaties. And inside these treaties there were three different dynamics to it. The first part of the treaty we called royal benevolence. The second part of the treaty was called a a vassal loyalty or responsibility. And the third part of the treaty was blessings and curses. So let me just briefly walk through it. Then we'll look at our text this morning. The first part of of the treaty described a suzerain who was a king or an emperor. He was a great king. And he was putting together a formal agreement with a lesser king. A weaker king or a lesser nation. And this great suzerain would at the very beginning of the document put in writing all the things that he, as a great king, would provide for this weaker king or this weaker nation. He would say, look, there's good days coming for you, and you're welcome to come into our land. You're welcome to trade with our people and do business with our people, and I will also provide protection for you and for your nation from outside enemies. It was showing kindness In this agreement. The second part of this treaty. Was vassal loyalty and requirements. The second part described how. The weaker king. Or the weaker nation. They had certain responsibilities. A job description to follow. And if they followed. Their end of the bargain. If they did everything that they were asked to do. There would be great blessings. Positive things. That they would benefit from. If they disobeyed the agreement and they broke the agreement, there would be curses, negative consequences for that king or for that nation. So a quick example would be a king would say, okay, I want you to not form an alliance with another king, but keep your alliance with me. If that weaker nation kept that agreement and kept that alliance then they would continue to be able to benefit from the the land of the greater king, and they would also be able to be protected by that king and that king's army. If that weaker nation or that weaker king decided to go against that rule and form an alliance with an outside enemy or outside nation, then all bets would be off, and that nation would be in trouble, and that greater king would be able to declare war on that weaker king. I bring all this up, Because you will see this consistency throughout seven covenants that God made with his people. And then by the end of it, I hope it will all come together for you. There are seven covenants in the Bible that God made with his people. He made two covenants with Adam in the very beginning. Then he made one with Noah. He made one with with Moses. He made one with David. And then God the Father made one with Jesus the Son. And that's where we all see the covenant of grace unfold. But before we look at the covenant of grace in Jesus Christ, we have to talk about the covenant of life and the covenant of works. The very first covenant that God made with Adam in the garden. So if you have your Bibles, look with me in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Later on in the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 6, verse 7, we read, But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. What we see in the very first book, at the very beginning of time, God established a covenant with the first human being, Adam. The thing about these covenants we got to understand is that God is the one who formalizes the agreement. He's the one who sets up these covenants. We don't set it up. He sets it up. It's in His terms and in His way. And the very fact that God decided to do this shows his incredible grace. Because God didn't have to come up with these kind of agreements with his people. He's God. We're completely dependent upon him because we're his creatures. But as our creator, God showed incredible love and mercy by entering in this incredible relationship with his people. What we see in this first covenant is at the very beginning, God is saying, I'm showing you kindness, royal benevolence, in the sense that, Adam, look at this garden that I've given you. Look how beautiful it is. I've given you all these things to to eat. I'm asking you to work the garden and to create and cultivate this garden. I'm even giving you a beautiful woman, Eve, Eve. And she will be a suitable helper for you to help you in life. And that you can have, have company and share company with and, and you can live life with. Look at all the things that I've given you. I'm showing my benevolence, my kindness. Genesis 128, it describes God's royal benevolence this way. Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. Look at all of the things that God gave Adam in the garden in the very beginning. He gave him everything he needed. He even gave him what he wanted. This beautiful garden. As we go on and we see in Genesis 2, God then continues To draw out and write out the terms of this formal agreement that he made with Adam. And he said, okay Adam. If you continue to do what I ask you to do. And till this soil and and, uh, have a good marriage. And and love this land and embrace it. Then you will have life. And the sign that I'm going to show you about this covenant is the tree of life. The tree of life, you just can look at that tree and you'll be reminded of all of the promises that I've given you. You'll be reminded of all of the blessings and the benefits of this relationship. Just be reminded by looking at that tree and embrace all the blessings I've given you. If you do that, good days are to come. Genesis 2.15 describes that God said, if you eat from this one tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you eat from it, then all bets are off and the agreement is broken. You will become a covenant breaker by breaking the law and death and sin will enter to this world and our relationship will be severed. It will be fractured. Well, just like when you watch ESPN and you see those funny clips where it says you had one job, Adam had one job. And what did he do? But he broke the covenant. He and Eve, they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because they did what they weren't supposed to do, all bets were off. The covenant was broken. And there were grave consequences to it. Sin and death entered the world. This is why we call it a covenant of life. Because God said, I'm offering you abundant life. Just keep doing what I'm asking you to do. We also call it a covenant work of works because the determining factor in this covenant was Adam's works. Whether or not he obeyed or disobeyed God. And what did Adam do? But he disobeyed God. His works didn't prove worthwhile. But it led to grave consequences because of his disobedience. Now, as I read Genesis 2, you might have said, well, Seth, the word covenant is not mentioned in Genesis 2 or in Genesis 1. So where do you get this idea of covenant from? Where does it come from? It comes from Hosea chapter 6. But like Adam, the people of God transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. This passage in Hosea, it compares the nation of Israel's rebellion against God in the days of Hosea with Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. It speaks of how Israel, God's people, sinned and broke God's covenant just as Adam broke God's covenant in the very beginning. So this is where we see the word covenant come from with the first covenant that God made with Adam and with Eve. When Adam broke the covenant, he became guilty and sinful... His perception of himself, his perception of of Eve, his relationship with God, and his relationship with creation, it all changed in a negative way. Richard Belcher, he said it this way... Adam felt the need to cover himself because he was naked. He blamed Eve for his sin and he tried to run away from God. His work became difficult. Marriage became a battlefield. And life in general became hard as he faced a continuing struggle with the impact of sin. Grave consequences. He went from having a condition of being holy and happy to one of being sinful and miserable. His condition was that of total corruption one thing we have to understand about covenants is that every covenant that is mentioned throughout the Bible, it also has an element of a representative element to it. In the sense that there's a representative principle where whoever person that God made an agreement with represented people. Adam represented all of human race, all of humankind, when God formalized this agreement with him. He is our representative. And because he and Eve sinned against God, the moment we were conceived in our mother's womb, we, became, we were sinners. When we entered this world, we were sinners. We were totally corrupt. We entered this world sinful and miserable. Adam's guilt, his shame, and his misery passed down to the rest of humankind so that the moment we were conceived... We were conceived in sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Therefore just as sin came into the world. Through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men. Because all sinned. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 21 and 22. For as by man came death. For as in Adam all die. You know what happened when Adam and Eve. Disobeyed God in the garden. It was as if the rest of humankind received a contaminated blood transfusion. You may have heard of stories that are very unfortunate of people who are in need of a blood transfusion to keep them alive. There are, every now and then, examples of the person who donates his or her blood to this person in need of blood, where their blood is contaminated. The doctors didn't realize it, but as they make the The blood transfusion, the person receiving the blood, ends up getting (laughs) contaminated. This is what took place after Adam and Eve sinned against God. The rest of humankind were contaminated. One way to look at this concept is to think of a corporation that would just dump its toxic chemicals into one end of the stream. And it's not just that one area of the stream that would be polluted but eventually the rest of the river would be polluted. Another way to think of this concept is of a living will or a testament. Adam is our descendant, and it's as if he wrote in his will (laughs) that all of us would inherit his sinful nature. That's what happened in this first covenant when Adam broke it. All of us can understand how these things happen because we're living in it right now with COVID-19. Most of you know that about three weeks ago, I had COVID-19 for the second time. I think I had the Omicron. I don't even know at this point what it was. But here is how it happened. First, my oldest daughter got it. And then Katie, my second daughter, got it. And then mommy got it. And then Caleb got it. And then Sarah got it. And then I got it. It spread like wildfire. We were home for two and a half weeks. And kids in Knox County have been home for a whole week. Because this thing has spread. And I'm so thankful you're here today. I think we're all getting just used to this. And we're just continuing to live life. Good job. Keep it up. But the point of the matter is, is that we can relate to this concept. Because we're living in it right now. It's as if Adam had COVID-19 and he spread it to the rest of mankind. That's what happened. Some of you may be here and you might be saying, Seth, this seems so unfair. Because after all, this was Adam and Eve's decision, not mine. Why should I have to suffer because of what they did? Well, let me have you think about two things. First is, remember studying American history when you heard about Thomas Jefferson coming up with the Declaration of Independence? Remember our Constitution? Our founding fathers, they spent hours and hours of crafting this great document that we benefit from? Well, even though we weren't there, it's as if we were there And they were our representatives who crafted this great document that we benefit from. Most of us here are probably American citizens. We didn't choose to be American citizens. We were born into it. And as a result of being born in this nation, we have advantages and we have disadvantages that people of other nations have. Now, was that our decision? No. Are we benefiting from it? Yes. In the same way, we didn't make the decision to be born of Adam. But if Adam had kept the covenant of life, we too would have benefited from that. But because Adam didn't keep the covenant, we suffer the bitter consequences. We have received a lethal injection the moment we were conceived. We are all totally depraved. So before I close out the message and leave us all depressed, I want to answer the question, what does the covenant of life and works have to do with you and me? How does all this come together? Well, there's just three little things, three simple but yet profound things I want you to hold on from this message and how it applies to you. The first thing is, is we should see ourselves as covenant breakers in Adam. Adam. Isaiah 24, 5 tells us, The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. The earth. Every one of us. Romans 3, 10. No one is righteous. No, not one. All of us are sinners in the sight of a holy, perfect God. None of us have it together. We are all broken, we are all imperfect. So the first thing we need to be reminded of when we read about the covenant of life and works is that we should see ourselves as covenant breakers in Adam. The second thing is we have no hope of ever saving ourselves by our works. Adam's works is what determined whether or not he would have life or death. Because we are in Adam, we have no hope of ever saving ourselves from by our works. That's that. We can't earn our way to God. We can't work our way to God. That's why he came to us. So that's the second thing we have to understand about this great covenant. And the third and final thing I want to say is that even though we are covenant breakers in Adam... If you love Jesus Christ, and if you trust in Jesus Christ, you are a covenant keeper in Jesus. Even though we are covenant breakers in Adam, we are covenant keepers in Jesus Christ. Where Adam failed to keep the covenant, we will find out later that Jesus succeeded. He kept the terms of the agreement. He never once broke it. Jesus is completely consistent. We can completely count on him. He's completely dependable because he's perfect. He's the only human who has walked this earth who has been perfect. And because of that, we will see how God enters into a new agreement with his people called the covenant of grace. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22 tells us, for as by a man came death... By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Let's thank the Lord that the story of covenant theology does not end at the very beginning with the covenant of life and works. But instead, there is so much more to come. So stay tuned for the rest of the story because the story is to be continued with God's covenant of grace.